Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. Before we watched the episode, we were looking a little bit about the, the parameters of the laws about um, what kind of clothing you can wear based on the verse from Deuteronomy 22.5, which says that a man should not wear a, we'll translate it as a man should not wear a woman's clothing or a woman a man's clothing. Lo yekli gever alisha velo yilbash gever simatisha, that a, you know, a man's apparel shouldn't be on a woman or vice versa, because it's a an abomination before God, whoever does this. And looking at um, a lot of the sources from the Talmud and um, halakhic sources, you know, later on about the parameters of what's considered to be wearing clothing of the other gender, um, and specifically on that idea of an abomination, the way that Jewish law generally kind of um, understands this is that it's only clothing that's being worn for the purpose of an abomination. And so they sort of limit the, you know, limit the application of what's considered, you know, really problematic clothing to be wearing is clothing that's intended to seduce, that's intended to, um, you know, again, I don't necessarily know about cross-dressing as being seductive, but they talk about you all, if you're wearing clothing, so as if, if a man's wearing women's clothing to be able to fit in with the women, so as to be able to sort of get access or vice versa, um, those kinds of things are problematic. And this creates a whole conversation in later halakhic sources, um, you know, even going back to, the, to Maimonides and from Maimonides on about sort of the cultural... What, Rabbi Schatz? Uh, oh, um, can we just can we just talk about where in the episode this this happens? Sure. So at the very beginning of the episode, where um, Ruth has clothes that she's showing to Yifat, if I remember correctly, and she is talking about you know how she's bought these pants and and you know these different kinds of pants that she she you know bought these sort of wide pants and Yifat's like, why didn't you just move on to jeans already? And she's like, no, no, I can't, you know. Wider pants and all that, and she said, "You know, when I wear jeans, I feel naked." Um, then this whole thing reappears when she sees her grandmother. If we remember from the first episode, Ruth's father is a Rosh Hashiva, so she comes from a very religious family, and she sees her grandmother, who's clearly very religious, while she um, she Ruth is out wearing pants, and even though she knows that it's a problem that her grandmother's out, she doesn't approach her. Um, she doesn't approach her grandmother because she doesn't want her grandmother to see her wearing pants. Yeah, it's Hodaya who's wearing. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I, I mix up Hodaya and Ruth a lot. Rayu was the one who that. bought them. You're right. Rayu bought them. Hodaya said, "Why aren't you already wearing jeans?" Because she does. And then while wearing jeans, she goes out and she sees her grandmother and she doesn't do anything about it. And the the part of that, that's, yes. and then you can go back to Maimonides, but the part of that that was so striking was that what we learn later on in the episode is that her grandmother wasn't supposed to be out alone. It seems to us that maybe she has Alzheimer's or something like that, where she needs to be in a home and with a caregiver. And so the the fact that pants wearing kept her from even making sure that her grandmother was safe 
is a huge deal, right? It means that that was a really big thing for her to need to hide or want to hide, um, which is why she then calls her mother and she says, I'm so sorry I saw her. I don't know why she was out. I don't know where she went. And then she runs around Jerusalem to try to figure out where she is. Um, so I just wanted people and to obviously know- doesn't tell her. Yeah, thank you. Uh -huh. Doesn't tell her mom, you know, obviously I didn't approach her because I was wearing pants, right? right. It's obviously not that I was on my way to class, I was at school, whatever. Um, she does not uh, address why she didn't approach her mom. So, right, so we sort of see with two characters and things for that clarification, right? That Raoud is the one who bought these clo the clothes. Um, and we saw from the first episode, Raoud is, seems to be sort of like, in a lot of ways, the strong feminist character. She's the one who you know, says, give me the Kiddush cup, I'll say Kiddush. Um, Hodaya is a little bit different because she comes from, clearly comes from a very religious family. She studies Bible at Hebrew U, which is like a very controversial thing, let's say, um, for someone from a religious family to be, you know, to be studying um, Bible at a, in a university setting, sort of not in a uh, traditional Jewish setting. So these two characters, you know, and they're sort of different, even though Reut is more of the the feminist or, you know, or sort of the out there feminist, it, it seemed she's the one who doesn't feel comfortable wearing pants or wearing jeans. And alternatively, well, okay, so great question, great point about wearing jeans is not considered cross-dressing in these days. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, she said she felt naked doing it. Um, and... Again, and then Hodaya, sorry, Hodaya, who is comfortable wearing jeans, but isn't comfortable with her family seeing her doing so. Okay, so that's that's sort of how it appears in the episode. Now, Barbara says, but wearing pants, wearing jeans is not cross-dressing. Um, and depending on who you ask, you're, most people would say that you're right. Some people would disagree. Um, we were looking at some halakhic sources uh, earlier about this question, and, and what was interesting is that, you know, halachic sources that we look at, you know, Jewish legal sources, many of them are coming from the areas where Jews primarily lived. You know, so some Jews lived in Spain and North Africa, but a lot of our halachic sources are from Poland and Ukraine and Russia, where it's cold. <laughs> and so, you know, um, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, why wearing pants is not necessarily problematic, especially for, you know, a lot of the major halakhic writers who are writing in those areas in Ukraine and Poland of saying like, yeah, women wear pants all the time, but like, that's makes sense. It's cold. And, and the only thing that's prohibited is the wearing, wearing clothing of the other gender that's intended to either be sort of seductive or um, in some ways, like help you, fit in right so or right the wearing wearing skirts over the pants is very much a thing uh the hood i assume is pico robertson is that right yes yeah my uh brother-in-law's from there so uh he's not he was just married there he's not from there. los angeles is close enough uh, <laughs> can i just can i just butt in for one second while i'm busy correcting you um so not all of our topics will be so connected to one another as they were these past two weeks. But remember that when we were talking about tefillin, we also brought up about how sociologically tefillin is also something that is seen as wearing male garments, right? It's not, that's really what talit is considered, but tefillin ends up kind of in the same category of being a male 
thing, right? And similarly with pants, that that men were wearing pants. Um, and and I just want to remind everybody that this not this isn't just a Jewish thing, right? If you look at pictures of women in just like the 1920s, right? You don't even have to go back as far as when these texts were being written. You saw women in mostly in dresses and in skirts and, you know, beautiful hats and things that made them look effeminate because that was of the time. There, there have been changes in that, obviously, um, but there are some pieces to that sociological piece that stay with people. Um, I have never worn pants to shul, and that's not because I grew up orthodox. It's not because I grew up in a place where that would be um, not done or told to me to be uh, something that was not okay. But I just can't even imagine wearing pants into shul because... It just isn't what my family did. It's not what my mom did. It's not what her mom uh, did or does uh, to this day. So there are pieces of this that even though they stem from halakha, as we saw both in the episode and as we're going through these sources, we will also see there's also a lot of this that's sociological and not just halachic. Um, and one of my favorite sources that I came across for this class was that uh, Ovadia Yosef, who's known as a, one of the greatest halachic minds. Do you know what I'm about to say? I think so, but go ahead. Very impressive. Okay. Well, maybe. I'm, I'm interested to see where, where you go with this. That if a girl, specifically, they were talking about girls, not women, were wearing clothing that was seen as not modest, like they, the example that was used was a mini skirt, right? If she was showing a lot of leg, which, you know, if you say in the world of elementary school or middle school, right, what is modest dress? A very, very, very short skirt is probably not going to be on the dress code for the school, right? Maybe above the knee is okay, depending on where you go to school. It doesn't have to necessarily be down to the ground, but probably a mini skirt is not something that's being okayed by, um, by a school. And so what he says is, if the only other option is to be wearing pants, they should wear pants because they are actually more modest, more sneeze than wearing that miniskirt. And this is the type of conversation that I think is so fascinating because here's this halachic mind saying, let's focus on what sneeze means. What does it mean to be modest? Does it mean that in the orthodox world you can wear a tight, tight, tight skirt that goes to mid-calf? Or does it mean that you could wear flowy pants and that one might be more modest than the other, even though one is considered pants and one is considered a skirt? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I have my own answer to that question, but I don't have an answer to that question. Uh, but it is interesting that, that that is something that even Ovadia Yosef said was, was okay for his time and for our time. Ish. I would, I would add the ish. Because okay. Rabbi Vadya says, as you said, Rabbi Schatz, if that's the if the only other option other than a short skirt is to wear pants, it's better to wear pants. But then he also says it's better to not wear pants because it's not it's not sneeze. Um, yes, so. but I think, but I think the point, but I think the point is, is that that there there is a way of being modestly dressed that is wearing a skirt and there's a way of being modestly dressed that is in pants. And so the thing to focus on 
is that pants were seen during these sources as male clothing, skirts were seen as female clothing, and we were told to separate the two for the genders. Um, I, I think I think that it would be hard it'd be hard to say that th- that all skirts are always sneeze, even if they go below your knee, that all skirts are always sneeze, and that all pants are not. Right? I think that's a really big generalization that we can't that we can't make. Yeah, I, I mean, okay, I would agree with that. And I think, you know, what's another piece that's brought up continually um, in the sources that we were looking at earlier is, is about how it's so dependent on the locale, right? Yeah. So for us nowadays, you know, there's certain th- – there's like um, – we can get into the 20th century in a moment, but even Maimonides, you know, writing almost a thousand years ago was saying it's sort of dependence on the custom of the land. You know, women shouldn't wear something that's um, commonly worn in, uh, you know, that's usually only worn by men and vice versa. Um, So he says, you know, generally there's this idea that it's sort of all about local custom. And yet, um, the source, the Mincha, not, not the Mincha, it's not the other source, the um, Avni Tzedek that we were looking at, which is from Ukraine, who was saying, yeah, you know, it's fine for women to wear pants. Well, you know, we've seen women wearing pants all around us and here in Ukraine and in Poland, even great, pious, modest women have long worn pants. No one complains about it. You know, and he goes on and on about this. But then he says, um, however, a greater problem is the new phenomenon of women wearing men's hats and suits. And, and he says, even though the feminine version of these items differs slightly from the male version, you know, there's sort of, there's clearly female suits, which are different from men's suits. He says, these, wear one right now. <laughs> he says, these aren't okay. Right. I can share my screen for a moment. Uh, can, yeah. I can share my screen. Um, let me do that. So you can just see the source. My, uh, my, no, New Orleans people saw this a little earlier, right? But this idea, you know, a greater problem is the new phenomenon of women wearing men's hats and suits. Although the feminine version differs slightly from the male version, they're apparently worn by some by some women for the sole purpose of resembling men. These would seem to be forbidden, forbidden and I have previously made an uproar about this, demanding that their forbidden status be publicized. Unfortunately, many trespass in this regard, as well as by wearing non-Jewish fashions. May God have mercy on us. So again, this is the lenient source in general, but even he has his, you know, everyone sort of has their lines. And the lines are very, I think, culturally dependent. And it's not really halakhic at all, because it all depends on what's normal where you are. You know, for, let's say for Hodaya, she's living in a context, in a culture where, like, women wear jeans, including from women, and that's kind of normal. But for her parents, even though they live not far away, it's not normal. And that would be seen as like this crazy thing, even though for her at this point, it's not like a, it's not a big deal because everyone wears jeans. But she knows for her parents, it would be a big deal. I will, I will say to the suit point, I'm in a suit right now because I did a funeral um, and I just haven't had a chance to change. And when I showed up, I was co-officiating with um, a male colleague of mine because I had to leave the funeral early. And he and I showed up in the same outfit. I mean, black blazer, white shirt. Um, (laughs) And I did think about that. I was like, oh, man, I should have worn a dress. This is so weird that we both showed up looking like we were twins to this funeral. But But I don't think, I mean, just speaking 
as a woman, um, I don't think that when women wear these clothes, that there is something, and, and this does come up in the sources, I'm sorry that I don't remember which source I read this in, um, but there is something about how women wearing male clothing came about when women started to be able to work in the same way as men, right? That I'm wearing a blazer now because I went to a funeral, whereas if I was just teaching this class, I probably wouldn't have a blazer on, right? That there's something about wearing a blazer that kind of signifies you're going to work. Um, but on the, on the other side of things, for women, that could be seen as a time to wear a dress or heels, which don't wear to funerals because they go into the grass. But th anything like that that would, that would be more feminine, I think is, is an interesting shift. And I don't know enough about fashion um, over the decades to be able to say when, when pants kind of became more the style than skirts or heels versus flats. I, I, I can't give you that history. But I do think that when we look at the characters of the story, that Hodaya, and this is what, um, I don't think it is normal in Hodaya's Yeah, right. So I, I think that that Hodaya has come to a point in herself where she's okay wearing pants. Not necessarily that it's okay in her community, but that she sees it as something that she's comfortable doing. Whereas Yifat, exactly as Debbie said, like only wears pants in the home, if you notice, which is around other, mostly other women, unless Nati stops by because he needs to be fed. Um, so, so I think that that there there is a piece there of kind of um, what's comfortable and what makes the most sense given what you're doing, and I think that that's a huge piece also about pants and skirts uh, that we need to also think about. That women's roles in the world also just changed in terms of what they did, and that pants sometimes just made more sense. Yeah, I see Suzanne is raising her hand, and she's the one who actually brought this up earlier. So yeah, I, I, the other thing that I've been thinking about, and I don't think any of us are experts on clothing over the centuries, yeah. but um, Islam has a very strong um, concern with modesty, yet pants do not appear to be a problem, um, at least unless you get over maybe to Iran, Iraq area, mm -hmm. but pants with either a long top or a regular top. And those can be pretty form-fitting pants or slim-cut pants don't seem to be a problem. So this idea of modesty, mm -hmm. it, it seems to veer over the years and over the countries, mm -hmm. whether that really means hiding your body mm -hmm. or does it mean the sex deline delineation? dressing as your sex. And then if your sex isn't allowed to work, that's going to further limit yeah. what what your clothing is. So I just that's I was but I've been thinking a lot about this concept of modesty. Yeah. And does it mean sexual modesty so we are not um because men have absolutely no self-control this is why um all the rules exist or is it a a sex linked you know 
differentiation of who you are. Yeah. Um, I'm happy to let Rye Pernick take a stab at this. Also, one. Oh, I was going to let, uh, I see the Freedmen's have their hands raised, so I was going to let them res respond, and then we can respond to both of those. Are you points. responding to this, Leonard or Rebecca? Um, no, but I mean, it's kind, it's kind of a build. I was just going to add a, um, uh, uh, another thing to think about it. At, uh, at one of the local modern Orthodox high schools here, where the girls have to wear skirts. Yeah. In recent years, they have allowed the girls, when going on uh, field trips that involve a long bus trip or an airplane ride, so that the girls can be comfortable also and not be penalized and, you know, sitting in these uh, skirts, which, which, by the way, as you said earlier, are mostly these tight pencil skirts. So certainly they're, they don't seem very modest to me, but they're, they're skirts. Anyway, they've allowed... In those circumstances, the bus rides and the airplanes, they allow the girls to wear um, um, large, I mean, a bulky sweatpants. It, oh, okay. it can't be leggings, it can't be jeans, it can't be very fitted, but it can be sweatpants that are, um, you know, a bit oversized or, or, or whatever. Sure. So they allow that because it's not just the pants itself, it's it's that it's not tight fitting and it's somehow, you know, um, still modest. So they, uh, they've made that, uh, um, that allowance. But I think that, you know, it's just a matter of time before they, you know, um, don't require the skirts. That's my personal feeling. I don't know how long that'll take, but yeah. Anyway. No, that was a, I'm glad that right. That, that will never happen. Great. That was a great response. Um, the one thing that I that I want to add, well, I'll add a, narr a little funny story piece, and then I'll and then I'll add um, some actual content. When I was in high school, I did not go to that modern Orthodox school, but I had a lot of friends who did. And I remember going to, I guess I was hanging out with a friend or something after school. And I remember, and I don't know if this still happens, but going to like where they do carpool. And all the girls had like leggings or whatever was the thing back then under their skirts. And you just saw a bunch of girls like taking skirts off on the street. And it's like, hello, hello, <laughs> you're all, you can't just take off a skirt in the middle of the street, but they all had pants on underneath. Um, and that's part of what Karen Cass just said also, that you like dress the part, right? When I used to go into Maya Sharim when I was living in Israel, I would always have a skirt in my backpack so that I could put a skirt on over whatever I was wearing. Um, so that I could go into Mayasharim, but to um, to Suzanne's point, I think that one of the one of the pieces of it is it is very sexualized, right? It's not we're just talking about pants and skirts right now, but it's not just that. It's your collarbone, it's your elbows, it's all these things that imply other body parts um, that you are not supposed to be showing, and and I think that part of where the pants piece comes in, even in Muslim communities where they have um, as you described, something long that goes beyond their waist. Um, there is this idea that that women are not supposed to wear pants because the outline of their body is then more exposed than if they are to wear skirts, uh, because then they just become a you know a pillar of something that you can't see legs, you can't outline other body parts. So. That I believe that that for that reason it is sexualized. I know for sure that the collarbone is sexualized, 
um, because the idea, like a shirt that I'm wearing now would not be allowed because your eyes might be drawn to a part of my body that would not be seen as, as modest, right? And so you wouldn't want to tempt anybody to even do that. Um, and, and I want to, we haven't said this yet, so I just want to point this out. This is a very hard conversation to have in modern day America when a lot of what we talk about, especially in terms of women's bodies, though all bodies, is that we want people to feel comfortable in the body that they're living in and that they should be able to express themselves in that in that body through their fashion, through whatever they are doing to, um, to feel comfortable in their bodies and in their skin. So... I know that Riley Parnick and I are taking this kind of from a from a historical and from a, um, a technical point of view, but I just want to point out that it, it it is a much harder conversation when you're trying to get again, especially girls, to feel like whatever they're wearing, you know, if they wear something tight, that doesn't give a boy a right to say or do anything to her just because that's what she's wearing. Um, so I don't want anybody to think that that's what we or I am applying, implying. Right. I think there, yeah, I think there's also sort of the vicious cycle piece of it. You know, when you're saying, well, I don't understand why elbows, elbows don't see it, or collarbones, or knees, or whatever. You know, and it sort of, it goes on and on, because if you're in a place where women wear pants, then pants aren't sexualized because you're used to seeing women wearing pants. Um, whereas when you're not, now suddenly it's like that forbidden fruit kind of thing a little bit of like, oh, you know, A, uh, someone talked about how it's, you know, signals membership in a community. So there's that piece of, you know, signaling that you're not part of this community. Um, and, the, you know, I think if you go in certain very orthodox or ultra-orthodox areas, you know, if a woman's wearing pants, it's sort of like, Oh, okay. She's clearly not part of this community, um, and sometimes that like has very negative results because there's sort of like free reign to say or do whatever we want because it's like someone who's not one of us. Um, but then it's also right like this reinforcing cycle of, you know, if you're if you're saying, oh no, this is forbidden, and then it kind of keeps expanding and expanding. You know, there's a whole thing about women's faces in Haredi publications where most Haredi publications will not put a woman's face anywhere in their magazine um, because, you know, faces are now, right? Once you keep, you know, you go from your elbows and your knees and then your wrists and your ankles and you got to keep going to the point where, you know, the picture of a... Hillary Clinton in the Situation Room during the uh, Osama bin Laden raid, and they cut out Hillary Clinton from the room because they didn't, in the Haredi publications, because they didn't want to have a woman's face in there. And it's like, I don't know anyone who would see that as like a sexualized picture um, of like, you know, Hillary Clinton in the Situation Room during the bin Laden raid, but it's just, you know, it's sort of once something becomes forbidden now it automatically becomes sexualized once it's there and so sort of you know um i don't know if it's ironically or whatever like the more restrictions you add the more room there is for things to become sexualized right so, and i um rabbi shapiro and i were talking about that those of you who go to Bethlehem know that our director of youth learning and engagement his name is rabbi matt shapiro he and i were talking about this and and he said you know if 
it's almost like if you if you say this is the rule, people are going to always figure out how to show expression, right? They're always going to say, "Oh, okay, the rule is that I can wear a skirt." So as Rebecca said earlier, great. Now, what skirts can I wear that are according to the rule, but are going to show my expression of fashion? They're going to show off my body. They're going to do all the things that I want them to do. All you said was I had to wear a skirt, and I think that. When we talk about this as expression, I think that that's actually where we go back to the episode in this moment of her not uh, Hodeya not not going to her grandmother because the conversation would not you couldn't even have that conversation because Hodeya we're gonna learn and I'm not giving anything away that she's what's called off the derech right she's she's kind of she's trying to explore what it means to not be as observant and whatnot. But she's also finding herself expressing who she is through wearing pants. So having that conversation with her grandmother, who is somebody who all she's heard is you have to wear skirts, that's not going to even be a conversation that you can have. So part of the the um, the fear, and at least to me, what was the saddest part in the episode was that it can cause these real divides just because you want to express yourself in a certain way, and all of a sudden you're either having to hide hide yourself, right? She puts an apron on later, or putting a skirt on to go into Maya Sharim, right? You're you're somehow you're playing a role that's not actually who you are just to appease people who think that that's who you need to be. And that's a huge thing to wrap our heads around and something that some people play into happily and without without um, combating in any way. But, you know, had I walked into Maya Sharim wearing very modest clothing but not to their standards, not sure that I would have been treated the way that I wanted to be treated had I worn the clothing that they wanted to see me in. Renee, I saw your hand. You just have to unmute yourself. I was going to say that with the, like I wrote to you in the chat, with the apron thing, that she felt like her, her grandmother almost, her grandmother didn't recognize her because she was wearing the pants. Mm -hmm. And that the only way that her grandmother would recognize her is if she was wearing the right costume. That's why she grabbed the apron and put it around her. Yeah. yeah, which is so. Yeah. I mean, we it's sad, but I mean that's that, and I don't. It didn't seem like it made much difference, but yeah, I think you stayed in character. Right. I don't know. One thing I'm thinking about, um, you know, because I'm seeing the comments in the chat. Oops, I just pulled up the wrong thing. But seeing the comments in the chat about, you know, what's the purpose of sort of these you know, all of these rules and, and sort of restrictions and, you know, a dress and the dress has to be this long and this long and this long and so forth. Um, which, by the way, are things you see much more in sort of the Hasidic slash Haredi world than, uh, you know, obviously the modern Orthodox world. Um, here's one thing that one of my teachers in rabbinical school, who's a Belzer Hasid, um, would talk about how he said, you know, sort of in the Orthodox world, Everyone's already keeping halacha, or like they, they see themselves as bounded by halacha, and so. But you, but there's also this idea of like going above and beyond. But then the question comes like, well, how do you go above and beyond if you're already keeping everything, right? And so you have to find ways to sort of demonstrate that above and beyondness by adding extra stringencies on yourself, and that's seen as like a 
a religious imperative, you know, to do more than the previous generation to demonstrate your devotion to God. Um, so, you know, one example that he would give, because people would say, like, you're a Belzer Hasid. I mean, it looks, he's a Belzer, you know, very much looks like a Belzer Hasid. Um, and, you know, he said when people would ask him, like, well, why, you know, why are you teaching at a liberal, modern, orthodox, rabbinical school? He said, because, like, there's people in our community who think, you know what, I'm tired of wearing white and black all the time. I want to wear blue, like a shirt with blue stripes. May as well eat a bacon cheeseburger, right? There's like that perspective of like, and he said like, there's no, no one ever differentiates between what's halacha and what's minhag. And, and he said, you know, when people keep taking on extra humras constantly, uh, yeah, and the bed thing we'll get into because I, I want to talk about that also. But um, but this idea of taking on extra chumras, you know, everyone's taking on extra chumras, but no one ever says this is a chumra, this is a stringency, this is not halacha, this is not law. Um, and then people, right, it's, it becomes very, very, you know, controlling perhaps, but not just for women, also for men, right? It's it's sort of... I, I, think, think, that's that, the, I think actually that's the most important point. I think that it's actually, it's, it is a control of women, right? It's telling women what to wear, but not because they're worried about women. They're worried about the men, right? right? They're worried about men's sexual urges. That's why there's a machitza. That's why there is nida, right? There's all these reasons to keep men who are clearly the only gender that have any sexual urges away from women who don't have any sexual urges whatsoever. They are just there to make babies, right? And obviously I'm overemphasizing the point, but, but I think both Tali and Sharice said that this is a way to control women. I, I don't, I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure that it is controlling to women, but I think as Rabbi Pernick just said, I think it's actually a way to like slap a man on his wrist and say, no, don't, don't look. She's wearing a skirt. You're not gonna be able to see anything. So just, yeah. you know, put your eyes somewhere else. And men have their own clothing things, right? When they dive in, they have to wear a, what do you call it in Hebrew? Do you call it anything in Hebrew? Bekesha? No. What? Is it, what, a Bekesha? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like the gartle that you wear? Do you know what I'm talking about? A, a gartle, I mean... Anyway, yeah. I had friends in rabbinical school that they would tie, like, what looks like a... I don't know, thing, around your waist, uh, men around their waist, so that they were just focused on their... their you know, spiritual yeah. devotion to God through their brains, basically, is what it's getting yeah. at. So yeah. it's all hypersexualized, but again, it's because of the men, not because of the women. Yeah, it's because the men not only have urges, but are so weak, they cannot control these urges in any way, shape, or form. They cannot be tempted. Thus, women get... Yes, restrained in their self-expression yeah. because men are the weakest creatures around. And there is no other way to say it. If y'all can't keep it zipped, it's because you're weak. It's not because yeah. a woman wore pants. Yeah. So I, yeah. I want to, I do want to respond a little bit because I, you know, talking about how this is really coming out of Hasidic, you know, the Hasidic world, um, which has its own philosophies and theologies in some ways, which are not necessarily normative orthodox philosophies and theologies. And, and one of the main, main, main 
ideas that Hasidism focuses on is um, is purity, is tahara, and that right that's like a huge huge deal. And so part of that, and if you read Hasidic texts, you see this a lot: the sort of importance and value on separating yourself from all temptation to set things that are impure. And as Suzanne correctly notes, that's not a fair burden to place on women. That's, you know, if men want to take this upon themselves, men should figure out a way to take it upon themselves. Um, but I think it's important to note that this is, right, it's, it is coming from this kind of philosophy that is very focused on the men, on the man sort of separating himself from all all these temptations all these urges and things like that and the women around end up being collateral damage essentially um you, th- you think about examples on you know, airplanes where men say i can't sit next to a woman a woman is like well you know you bought this seat on the airplane <laughs> like that's your, your problem why should the woman have to move right so there's so that kind of collateral damage um happens and is problematic but i just wanted to touch on a little bit of where that's coming from okay uh, a number of people wanted to talk. So um, let's, I, I, let's start with Ellen and Renee. I, don't, I can't see everybody right now. So let's start with Ellen and Renee, and then we'll uh, see who else still has, has something to comment. In a, patriar- in a patriarchal um, society, keeping with, focusing on men to the, de- to the detriment of women. Women, by this, are kept in their place. What's their place? home, children, making babies, and being available for their husbands. So I just see this as just a continuation of the same uh, of the same kind of process by which we keep women in their place. And just one other thing. Many years ago when I was an undergraduate, I took a course in the history of costume. Of course, in 40 years since I took it, it's probably no longer historical. But the theory was that men keep women in clothes, in skirts, and in other things, as a way to hobble them, to keep them from running away from the men. So I see all of this as kind of the same thing. Men are important. Women have their own narrow uh, lane of importance. And in that, it's a woman of valor, but she's not, she shouldn't be a lawyer. She shouldn't be a doctor. She should be home making babies and taking care of her husband. So I see this all as a as a continuation of the same idea. Yeah. And Renee. So that's why they, in that, in that community, they encourage the Bukhars to marry early because they know that their urges are so strong so that they shouldn't be overcome by their Yitzhah. They encourage them to marry early yes. so that they, they can get rid of those urges in, a, in an acceptable uh, relationship uh, pattern. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I think, you know, there's sort of very clear processes for getting married and ages by which, you know, there's an expectation of getting married in a lot of these communities, um, which certainly touches on that. It's sort of like it's not good for men to be this age and not married. They need an outlet, um, right? So getting married young, and we'll talk about the bed thing in a little bit also because I want to, you know, mention that as well. It was an interesting sub sub-thread to our story. Um, Norm had something he wanted to say, though. So, Norm. It, it seems to me that in the Hasidic communities that with which I have a little familiarity with, and certainly among my Hasidic clients, um, the women tend to be gainfully employed outside of the home at least as often as the men. 
Mm-hmm. And we certainly see that in Israel, maybe even more than we do in the United States. And so um, the idea that all the women should be home and pregnant and barefoot or hobbled in high heels, I think may well apply to a lot of communities in the world, but I don't know that that's fair to characterize Orthodox Jewry in that way. Yeah, I think that's certainly true. I mean, certainly true in the Haredi community that women are employed yeah. usually much uh, at higher rates than men. Also, by the way, women have generally much better secular education in Haredi school systems than the men do because the men are, or the boys are really learning Talmud all day where the women are, or the girls are learning, you know, subjects that would be helpful in getting a job. I mean, I mean, we're also learning biology and chemistry and things at higher levels than the boys are. So it's sort of this funny, funny little dynamic they have going on there. Uh, right, and employed so men can continue to be in Kolel, exactly. Um, but that's, that's part of that part of that system. Okay, you really wanted to bring up the bed piece, so here's your turn. Okay, I just wanted to bring up the bed piece quickly because I think it's a really interesting point, this idea of the the sort of not not getting a new bed until you get married, I think is, you know, for people in that sort of like transitionary phase, it actually happened to a roommate of mine that he like bought a bed and then met a girl like a month later. And was like, man, I just spent all this money on a bed. <laughs> like, um, but I think it's sort of this, it is like this funny thing because I mean, especially in the firm world, you know, you don't, well, often people aren't going to buy a queen or a king bed. They're going to buy two beds and put them next to each other, often with a connector for NIDA purposes. Um, Because for 12 days of the month, you're sleeping apart, not in the same bed. So I think that's just, you know, if you're thinking like, why not just buy a queen bed that the, you know, her, at some point her husband can move in and they can use this bed. It's like, no, it doesn't really work that way. Usually when people get married who are Orthodox, they need new beds because, you know, you need to be able to fit two beds next to each other that are then kind of connected. So I think that's just an interesting, like, thing that came up in the episode that um, is just, I think, a thing that's very real for, you know, whether it's the upper, Charles was saying earlier that, you know, how Sergeim is like Jerusalem or the Upper West Side are kind of the same thing. Um, And so it's sort of, in either of those communities, you see those same kinds of, like, discussions happening. It's also it's also interesting to note the bed piece was with a character who was very comfortable with other pieces of modernity in her life, right? The bed piece was kind of this one thing she was holding on to that was kind of orthodox, right? That she would that she wanted to make sure that she would have a bed that indicated that she had not been with a man before she got married because the bed was only big enough for one person. And so she wanted to have that bed until she got married. And yet she's the one who was buying pants and she's the one who's working in kind of the quote man's world in Israel. And she's the one who's a little bit more, what did you say about her? She was a strong feminist. She's like this really strong character and and the bed thing really throws her for a complete loop on how she's going to get around this and should I just sleep on a broken bed until I get married and then Amir says no you're going to have to get married really soon if that's the case so so I think that this actually plays back into our um 
our topic really nicely because there are clearly certain things that people feel much more attached to than other pieces that make them either kind of one foot in that traditional world or one foot in the more modern world. And you're seeing that played out in these two characters where Hodaya is totally fine wearing whatever she wants to wear. And um, Rayut, is that her name? Uh, She's having, you know, she can do whatever, whatever she wants, but there's this one piece of how she grew up that is really, that's keeping her back. So um, I think that'll come up a lot and it comes up for us too, right? In our own lives of like, what do we hold on to as the things that are, are our orthodoxies, right? The things that we won't let go that are really meaningful to us. Um, but other things that might be in that same category are kind of let go with no problem whatsoever. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.